Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone. On today's show, we have with us Richard Kirby and Warren King, two chairs for Vistage International in the Atlanta area. Richard is an executive career coach, and Warren specializes in leadership across the four generations that are in today's workforce. So I'm delighted to have you both with me this morning. Thank you. Happy to be here. So as always, I I love to start the show by finding out what are the trends that you think are really important for CEOs to know about in your areas of expertise. So Richard, why don't we start with you? Okay. Well, I think uh, attracting newer, younger talent is important. You see a lot of times that people have a workforce that's aged and people are going toward retirement or they're looking to really bring in youth and new directions and new ideas. So uh, the, the evolution of the hiring process in corporate America has, has really evolved the wrong direction in most cases. So they really need to think about how are they going to attract younger graduates and younger people, millennials, into the workforce. So... I could talk a little bit about that if you'd like. When you say they're, they've evolved in the wrong direction, what does that mean? Well, the people who are recruiting have gotten older. The management's gotten older. I mean, uh, for established corporations, now small companies that are more entrepreneurial, that's not true. But for bigger companies where you're looking at a CEO who's running a large organization, they've just tended to age over time. I mean, just go look at the board of directors or the management team in bigger companies, and that's frequently the case. So uh, they've become more comfortable at recruiting people the way they've traditionally done it, and the millennial group is more of a disruptive force that they need to attract. Mm. So what are some of the disruptions that you're seeing that the millennials are are bringing into hiring practices? Well, uh, millennials like to be engaged. So one thing that people can do to be more effective is engage them more in social media and things like that, as opposed to posting a job on a job board and saying, you know, send us your resumes and we'll let you know what we think. I mean, that's a pretty uh, impersonal process that's evolved. And for millennials, that really doesn't attract them too much. Another thing that uh, there's some things that millennials are looking for when they're talking to a company. They're looking for, is this going to be a fun place to work or not a fun place to work? And traditional hiring organizations don't really think of needing to portray themselves and demonstrate they have a culture where it's fun to work there. Mm -hmm. So that's an idea. Um, Where they engage them, I think also, uh, you know, they want to know what, is what, are they going to be developed? That they're looking for personal development. If you're a younger person and you're newer into corporate America, uh, you don't come in with a lot of perspective like a mid-career or senior career person would have. So they're looking to be developed, not simply given a job and told, you know, sit down and do these 12 things every day. Right. What about you, Warren? What are you seeing? Well, you know, I'll, I'll follow up on that a little bit, but... Um, I see a, a real challenge for business owners and CEOs to be able to onboard uh, people who are just beginning their careers and uh, find the right people for the right jobs. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, younger people 
um, are not totally aware of what their their personal brand is. So part of uh, part of what I do and part of what I do when I talk to young people just getting out of school is make sure they understand that they're establishing a personal brand. That brand will be what they use to to uh, uh, onboard themselves to uh, job opportunities and to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. I've often asked this question uh, for graduates. I, I ask them to tell me who has ever run a small business. And uh, invariably, out of 100 people, I might get two or three that have that raised their hand. And then I remind them that uh, they're all running small businesses, and the small business is them. So uh, they need to uh, think about things like uh, what their mission is, what their values are, what their vision is. And although that changes, a lot of them don't know what that is. It's something they need to consciously think about. So this onboarding, it, the desires of, this gener- of that generation and what they want are different because they're, uh, they're able to change jobs if they need to. Uh, people who uh, who are looking for people in that category need to understand how they think, uh, what their objectives are, and uh, and try to meet those. Uh, and if they don't, if, if as as uh, Richard said, if it isn't fun, um, if, if it's not challenging, if if they don't show a career path of some sort, they're probably going to lose them. And then they have to fi- and then the CEO and the business has to figure what's the cost of that churning, and in some cases that cost is quite high. So uh, sometimes there's models out there that you can look at. When you look at, you know, we're talking about maybe jobs that are could be in the $10 an hour category to, to $30 an hour or early career positions. Um, so how do, you, how do you get people who will stay? How do you get people who will not uh, be there six months and somewhere else right after that? And what is the cost of that, of that problem? Now, the... Aspects of the hiring millennials, I mean, that's been in the media quite a bit. Um, they want more fun. They want to be developed. They don't want to be tied to a definitive schedule. You know, they need, you know, you know at least this is what stereotypical people, stereotypically people say about millennials. Um, and I've heard that millennials don't like to be described in these terms. So <coughs> if there are any millennial listeners, I apologize for using the stereotypes, but, you know, millennials need a lot of praise, that kind of stuff. So... I'm wondering, from your perspective as you work with CEOs and Vistage, who do you think is going to end up winning? Do you think that the millennials will change the businesses, or do you think that eventually the businesses will have their way because they get to decide you know, who's going to be promoted and who's going to actually get the opportunities because the CEOs, as Richard said, are still hiring in their image? I think in the long run, the millennials uh, will get their way. Because when you can't get the talent you want, you don't have an alternative. So, uh, you know, baby boomers will retire. um, And the millennials will, if they don't go into corporate America, they have other alternatives now. There are a lot of millennials who opt out of corporate America right off the bat and get into entrepreneurial ventures. Mm -hmm. And, And it doesn't, when I say corporate America, I mean... I could go to work for a small entrepreneurial startup that has four or five or six people, and I like the people and I like the environment. It doesn't pay real well, but I really enjoy it, and maybe there's a future there for me if I'm in software development or other things like that. So I don't really have to opt into some giant corporation where there's, as we're talking about, a CEO at the top of the org power structure. Mm-hmm. 
I could just opt out of that if I want to. Yeah. Warren? Yeah, and I, I think that's a, a big factor in the choices they have, the alternatives they have. But uh, the thing we also have to remember is there's a technology element in this. And uh, the millennials, the graduates are all coming with really, really solid backgrounds in technology and what it can do. Uh, I don't like to say this because I'm in the, in the senior category, but uh, I, I think you're going to see a, a, a change on a continuing basis of, uh, of the use of technology, uh, uh, WebEx meetings, uh, sessions like this, uh, technology that's going to control how businesses run. And I think the millennials and the young people coming into the market will define what that is. And, and for the business owners that don't understand it and, and don't keep up with it, uh, I think they will, they will suffer. Mm. So what are you actually seeing in your groups? Are your um, CEOs actually dealing with this issue, or how are they dealing with this issue? Well, um, I have an interesting group. I serve small businesses, and several of them are entrepreneurial startups by millennials. So I'm seeing how they run their business and how they attract millennials. That's why I was making that earlier comment about, I don't mean literally opt out of working, but opt out of the big corporations. Um, so that's working pretty well. Uh, the, the thing that's difficult there is that the entrepreneurial millennial leaders don't have much in the way of leadership and management skills. So they need to learn to develop those so that as they employ similar people, they'll really run a good corporation. Mm -hmm. uh, the big companies, from what I see, are largely, from my point of view, which is limited, are largely ignoring the issue. They talk about it, but don't do much. Mm -hmm. uh, what's interesting is uh, in one of our recent Vistage meetings, the, the primary issue that three or four of the companies wanted to discuss was how do they attract um, good uh, um, uh, entry-level people into their company, and how do they keep them? Uh, all of them have a problem of churning at the lowest level, and it's, it's costly. And so uh, they're seeking ways to define uh, people's skills, people's personalities, trying to become more effective in finding the right person to begin with, uh, and, uh, and the money they can save by doing it right. And I, I think that this is a common problem, uh, certainly for companies that, that are in the 10, 20, 30 million dollar range where they begin to um, uh, experience a rel relatively large workforce and all the problems that it takes to keep the right people in their chairs. So what, what were some of the strategies that you recommended for dealing with that churn? Well, one of the conclusions was to uh, work with current employees who uh, they feel are models of the kind of people they want to have, uh, finding out what motivates them, finding out why uh, uh, they perform at a level that's, that's higher than most of the people, and try to, uh, to develop a system of onboarding that, that works through defining those things. It's not only experience. But it has to do with their personality. It has to do with their optimism. It has to do with their uh, willingness to work in a team. Um, so all of those things need to be assessed early on. And there's there's surveys that can be used to do that, and other things that can be used to do that. But it's not just. Uh, I mean, you got to pay attention to the people coming through the door because if you don't, you're going to end up uh, either losing them or um, or having to make them leave. Maybe a simple formula you could use. They'd say people can only 
keep up with three things at a time. So you've got hard skills, which as he's, as uh, Warren's alluding to, most of them come out of school with good hard skills like software coding or something like that. You have soft skills. You hear a lot of bashing of millennials that they don't have soft skills. They play video games and sit on their phone and they don't interact with people well. So that would be important criteria uh, besides the hard skills. And then cultural fit, as you're alluding to, what are the people that have fit into the company? So hard skills, soft skills, cultural fit, I think those would be three areas to be focused on if you were a CEO. How well are you evaluating people and matching people with those? And so as you look at millennials and the need for engagement and development and um, and reward and all those things. In each of those areas, how would you recommend or how are you recommending that CEOs match up the company's needs with the workforce needs? Well, uh, you know, the first thing is, is when, you, when you have a company that's got a relatively large organization, you, you can't do the hiring yourself. So uh, you've got to have an organization and a, and a system developed that will find those people and will evaluate them and, and, uh, and, then, and then do some recording of what's working and what's not working. Uh, one of the suggestions that came from uh, a company that I was dealing with is that uh, they offer a reward for an employee uh, bringing in another employee that that ends up staying for six months or a year and they give them a cash reward at the beginning and they give them a cash reward at some length of time after the person is there but what you do what happens when you do that is now that person has a has a mentor and a partner uh, somebody who's going to try to try to keep track of how they perform to make sure that they're living up to the the bargain that they they uh, agreed with to begin with and so there's a chance that you might be able to onboard some people that that you might not have even known about hmm. by by your own employees helping you find them All right. now have you guys seen any of your CEOs using like personality tests or any kinds of assessments to to assess either soft skills or, or cultural fit I, I'll tell you, if they don't, in my opinion, if they aren't using them, they're headed down a path of, of this churn, of the cost of having people come in and leave. Mm -hmm. So uh, I really think that the, the hard skills, as Richard said, is, is important. But you can find some people that don't have a lot of hard skills, but their personality is the kind that you want in your company. Uh, uh, they're outgoing. They're positive. Uh, uh, they can satisfy customers. All of those things may turn out to be the most important thing. So if you don't assess them on that to begin with, uh, I believe you're missing a big, a big uh, um, element that has to be part of, of hiring. I would agree. I would say that most companies do not. They either do not do it or they don't do a particularly good job of it. So uh, that's a challenge for us as Vistage Chairs is helping our members understand the value of doing that. Do you have any specific assessments that you recommend? Well, uh, you know, the, first of all, you get into legalities, and mm -hmm. you have to know what is legal, what can be used in a hiring process, and what can't. So if you don't have a law, if you don't have a legal staff or somebody, you, you do need to check on that with an outside yeah. attorney or something yeah. because you cannot just use any assessment you feel like. Uh, people can come back and push back through lawsuits and things. So you always want to be aware of the legal factor. 
Um, DISC is a behavioral assessment that a lot of people have used. It's, it gives you an idea of what a person's behavioral performance is like, and uh, that's one that is vetted. And there are various skills assessments that are vetted if you're hiring for a certain type of skill set. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think the I'll put in a plug a little bit for the Vistage Network. Um, there are all kinds of assessments out there. Some are are considered better than others, and it depends on what the what the, the job description is a little bit. But you can ask a question through the Vistage Network very simply: Has anybody used? Uh, personality surveys and and give me a recommendation of what that might be that'll go out to 20,000 vistage CEOs and senior executives and uh, of course my, the CEO has to be a vistage member well that's just it you have right. the access you have access <laughs> to a lot of successful CEOs so yeah. but they they have to be in the system and uh, plug plug for vistage yeah well that's what I say <laughs> I, I, I would do that <laughs> but uh I, my experience, and when I when I tee up a question like that in that system, is within 15 minutes I will have answers. So uh, whether you do it that way or you might have an industry association, uh, you might have a few buddies that uh, uh, you know share the same problem who you get some advice from. But the idea of getting advice and getting getting some recommendations, I think, uh, cuts through the vast array of what's out there. Right. So if a, a, a CEO is you know, thinking through retooling their hiring process, right, to really align it to make sure that they're bringing in the right people and they're, they're saying to themselves they really want to take on this issue as a key initiative for the company, what would you recommend that they begin to do to really look at being able to have this hiring process that's going to spit out this, these people that are clones of the yeah. ideal people that are in their company? Uh, my personal opinion is that when they work the numbers and they look at what it costs them in, in, in what they do and in, in turning people, retraining, finding them, uh, all that's involved in that, it will be an economic driver to that decision. So um, what people generally fail to do is sit down and really whiteboard out what is their hiring process. They have people in certain functional areas like recruiting or different things, and and they know kind of what each one of those people in their little silos do, but they really haven't thought through the whole process of how they attract, evaluate, uh, bring on, onboard, as, as Warren has referred, you know, re- what do they do in the process of development, retaining the whole life cycle of hiring, hiring and end of you know, employee life. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a death sense, yeah. but you know. Richard, so, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. And uh, you know, this other thing about finding people who, in your organization, who you feel are stars, and uh, get them involved. You know, there's one way a CEO can look down into the organization and come to conclusions. There's another way is to look from the bottom up and tell the CEO or the business owner what do you think is working. Find somebody who's a star performer. Try to slice and dice their personalities, their skills, and, and, and see how you generate those kinds of model employees. Mm. And so I heard two things. The first is to, you know, start to look, to calculate the metrics associated with your your HR function. And then the second, um, I think I heard Richard say, is to, to actually map out what your current HR process looks like. Right. And then after that, how do they start to retool? 
after they get an idea of what that HR process looks like now, what's the next step after that? Well, you either have to have internal resources that you can assign to certain functions like uh, how are we going to improve our onboarding process or how are we going to modify how, how we reach out and attract clients through social uh, – candidates, rather, through social media instead of through job boards and stuff like that. So as they identify certain areas they want to improve, then they either have to have an internal resource or they need to bring on some kind of external consultant who's a specialist in that area when they don't have the expertise. So how do they know what's wrong? So they've mapped out they've been doing it this way for – however long they've been doing it, how do they know if after they've mapped it out what's broken? Well, you look at where your issue is, as, as Warren alluded to earlier, and I think you did, you know, some type of KPIs. What do you, what do you measure to determine the effectiveness yeah. of your organization? If turnover is an issue that obviously points toward retention or lack of retention, then if you're measuring turnover, you know maybe you're not you're either not hiring or developing the right people. Mm-hmm. If you have a key thing, I mentioned the life cycle chart out the whole process. What a lot of times people fail to do is look at the end of the process, which in a well-run company has exit interviews. And you get the person in the room and you say, okay, Warren, you know, today's your last day, so I want you to just lay it on me, be brutally honest, tell me why are you leaving, well, they what did you like or not? They probably like. don't care, right? Well, the person's going, you know. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So <laughs> most companies either don't do exit interviews or they don't really put the person in an open-minded position to really dr- draw out of them the knowledge that they have about what's not working in their organization. So I would say you could sit internally in a room and talk to a whole bunch of people and you could get the theory of what everybody believes is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you're having failures and you'll get from that failing situation, why did that fail from that person? They'll, they'll have a color and a bias, and you can't take 100% of it literally. But they'll talk about the management or the lack of development or the some type of cultural aspect, or they were hired and they didn't recognize what the job really entailed. There was a mismatch between the job description and what the job really is. That's number one for me, and I think yeah. that's a big area that – companies miss i think another area once you get the the uh, the economics and the uh, the metrics of what you're dealing with is to then look at best practices and and people and companies that you feel that would might be in your category uh and and try to get an idea of uh, uh, uh not necessarily from competition but from people who uh, would be willing to tell you how they onboard and and how they go through this process, what their metrics are, and you begin to set some standards and some goals as to where you want this to go. Uh, one company that comes to my mind is uh, Chick Fil A, and if you look at uh, at the the workers in a in a Chick Fil A store, the people who are who are managing the desk and selling the product and working the back, and you go to compare that to some other fast food, you can see something is going on there that uh, uh, is different. And it's, I think it's the way they evaluate the people. It's the way they, they plan some uh, uh, future uh, goals and objectives. So I, the, the point is to find somebody that you think might be a standard and make a comparison, and that can be done in collaboration, and I'm not going to say anything about Vistage for that. (laughs) Well, here's a a question for you. So people have been the same, you know, for probably a million years, 
And companies are current, um, although it's changing, let's say, since the advent of the Internet. But corporations have been the same for at least probably 100, 150 years. And this playbook for developing human resources as a function has been the same. Like this is the same stuff that, you know, you hear in business school, you hear it all the time. Why is this so hard? Why can't companies get this right? Well, I'll give you a very 30,000-foot level, and it's, it's just my personal opinion, is I, I think companies don't do – there are a lot of things they don't do particularly well, but they do them well enough to stay in business. So this is – I think when you drill down in a lot of areas, could sales function be better? Could the marketing function be better? Um, could the hiring function be better? I mean, I will give the Vistage plug there. I think companies have a variety of issues that they would deal with if they recognized them or they came to be sufficiently yeah. important. And and that's what Vistage works on is what's most important in the business now and try to help owners work on that as they come. But, Serena, you bring up a good point. I mean, people are people, and they've been this way for a long time. So it's a matter of attention to detail. It's, it's excellence in, in operations and uh, in um, uh, doing the right thing at the right time, which a lot of companies, it's difficult for, for them to prioritize this. But that brings us to another point, and that's the personal relationships in a corporation uh, and uh, the fact that it's still based on hundreds of thousands of years of of development of the human mind and, and interpersonal relationships. So whether it's a small business that, that Richard deals with or a larger business that I deal with, uh, personal relationships are at the foundation of a lot of these issues, even on onboarding. It's how a person interacts with their, their peers and uh, their customers. So a lot of this is, is all in trying to continue to figure out the human mind you're saying that, you know, corporations have been around for 100 years and all of that, but the rapid change of the environment hasn't been around. You know, you could take a job in 1900, and in 1950, it didn't look a whole lot different. You take a job that was pre-internet, pre-computers, and things like that, and you look at that job today, it's completely different. So the the worker environment the competitiveness and and the marketplace all of these everybody is moving faster and having to change faster now than they were in the past that's one of the big challenges mm. and so as um ceos are confronting this rapid change in managing people and all of the different things and even what's required for a, a job now what, how often do you think um, CEOs should be retooling their, their hiring processes? And like, how do, long do you think this process takes? You know, this could be uh, 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 prioritized as a project, but I, w I would think uh, uh, that a CEO should be looking at this along with their annual strategy review uh, you know, part of the fundamental strategy is how do you get good people? How do you get the right people in the right spots? And so, uh, and I would say at the at a minimum, uh, reviewing this as a part of of the business strategy on an annual basis would be a good idea. Mm. Great. Um, so you guys are both Vistage shares, as we we've mentioned, and you know you work with CEOs. This is the world that you swim in. Um, how did you guys meet each other? And, you know, my understanding is being a Vistage chair is actually really tough. Um, it's a real challenge. So tell me a little bit about how you, you, you guys know each other and 
how you're supporting each other as, as Vistage chairs who work with CEOs. Yeah, basically Vistage chairs operate independently. So Vistage has a great training program, support program for people. But what we're basically challenged to do is go out and find business owners and CEOs who need and want the uh, what Vistage has to offer. So the startup is generally fairly challenging and that it's, it's a lot of talking to a lot of people and finding people who are interested in the model to help support them in their business. Mm -hmm. And then as far as how Warren and I got together, uh, the all the chairs, all the people who run groups in Atlanta meet once a month. So typically you will run into all the other people. And then, uh, you know, we just struck up a little bit of a friendship. Uh, I'm doing small businesses. He's doing larger businesses. So we have kind of a symbiotic relationship where potentially I run into bigger businesses. They don't really fit in my group. I could pass them on to him to see if they'd fit in his and vice versa. And the same thing happens, yeah, with uh, my search for companies that might be interested in, and uh, uh, uh just recently, a few companies that were in, could be in a small category were people I thought he should talk to, and uh, and so we try to work together on that. My objective is to help him make his group uh, um, full of people who are are going to benefit from the from the whole system, and that's my uh, my objective as well. So uh, uh, we're both ra relatively new. I'm a couple years into it. He's he's a couple meetings into it, but. Uh, um, I think uh, this is a long-term effort. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I come from a big company background, British Petroleum, Amoco, and when I see how this, how the system works uh, for companies that are, are, could be two, three hundred million up to that level, uh, really benefit from this idea of going to a place that's private. Uh, they can say anything or ask anything they want different than they might be able to uh, do in their own companies. Uh, and I'm fascinated by it because during my career, I was never in something like this. So um, this, this, is, this is really an eye-opening kind of uh, uh, experience to watch collaboration amongst non-competitive business owners. Hmm. And so as you guys are advisors, trusted advisors to CEOs, what do you think are the most important um, aspects of developing a good relationship with the CEO. And then I'll ask the flip side, what do you think is really important as, you know, CEO listeners and uh, making sure that they get the most out of their advisors? I think one of the most important things in developing a relationship with a CEO is that they get it, that you are sincerely interested, you're listening, you're responding, you're trying to be supportive of whatever their agenda is. And so if they get it that, you know, you're there for them, then, uh, you know, then they feel, and they feel supported. I think that's probably the beginning point of the relationship. Uh, yeah, I think that's important. The, their uh, tr trust is at the foundation of all of this. And uh, it's also interesting to watch the uh, trust level of the group develop as, as a CEO comes into this, uh, this experience. Um, it isn't so much up to the chair to answer questions. It's up to the chair to make sure that the collaboration is working and so that all of the, the library of experiences of every one of these members is brought to the table and, uh, and can be utilized to find solutions and get ideas. Uh, we don't have any fiduciary responsibility in these, the business members' 
so we we generate ideas, we generate examples, we generate experiences that people can bring to the table. But ultimately, um, we're as as the word says, we're an advisory board, mm. and so uh, um, that's what we do. We we help them come up with ideas and solutions to issues that they might not normally be able to un ravel within their own company group. And so the, the, I also asked the inverse question. So if a CEO is listening to this, what do you think are the things that you recommend for them to get the most out of a, a trusted advisor? Not necessarily they're, you know, a coach or a chair like yourself, but even just lawyers or consultants that they're working with to make sure, make sure that those relationships work. Well, I think to find somebody they trust, and uh, that's not always easy. Uh, it may be uh, somebody they work with or from another company or, an, or a consultant of some sort, but uh, I think find, finding somebody that they would trust with inside information on all kinds of subjects, whether that's employees or how the business is doing. But I think uh, trying to find somebody that, that you feel is uh, involved in it so that that you can be more successful and happier and uh, don't look at it as a, as a business relationship, but as a personal relationship. And I think uh, if you find that and you do have that trust, then the more open that the CEO can be with the person, the better. Because, uh, you know, people kid themselves. They tell themselves stories. They withhold information. They selectively remember and all those sorts of things. The more the person can just kind of be brutally honest and lay it out there with the coach or whoever, the mentor, then that person has more information to to better guide them or give them input. But don't you find that in in business that some relationships are, you know, like Warren is saying, are not safe and you need to maintain that, you know, that um, almost that wall, right? Um, of maintaining the appearance of being successful and you don't necessarily want to share, even if the person is trustworthy, you don't necessarily want to share all the, the, the guts and the, the underbelly. Of well, we don't want to, but that's one of the unique things about Vistage is people over time learn to do that. And that's when you have more effective uh, relationships and more effective interactions with the group and with the individual chair in this sessions. And, you know, one thing that I found in, in talking to people about Vistage and the benefits, uh, the people that really don't fit are the people who think they are, have all the answers already. And uh, so the CEO has to start with the understanding that there's things that they may not know, uh, and they may not know they don't know them. So uh, it's important for them to be open and be willing to say, I need other ideas. I want other ideas. And uh, so that beginning point of of uh, admitting that there are things that you need to get to be as successful as possible and as happy as possible. Uh, yeah, well, that's I- a good point is the personal side is we could sit here and talk this whole time about how to uh, manage your KPIs and your hiring process and improve your profitability and your revenues. And we all know there are people who work 60 or 70 hours a week and have poor work-life balance. We know people who have problems with relationships at home or with family and other things like that. And that's another area where uh, we can potentially help is if they truly feel, let their guard down, as you say, let that wall down, 
then they have an opportunity to get help in that area or at least have a sounding board to talk and think things through. Yeah, one of the things that, uh, that um, continues to amaze me is the, you know, as I talk to CEOs, the number of CEOs who aren't aware of CEO peer groups or not aware of Vistage. Vistage itself only has, ten, I think, 10% of the market or mm, something yeah. on the order of that. And, and I'm wondering why. Why do you, do you think that given, you know, what most people think is a pretty compelling value proposition, maybe not, right? Uh, well, I, I, you know, Vistage isn't well, more I, well known. I'll tell you, there's a whole um, effort within Vistage right now to do a better job of branding. I mean, let's... I agree with you. The uh, number of people who understand it, number of people who know about it, um, uh, is is limited. And uh, it's interesting to talk to people who are in it and been in it for twenty or thirty years, and all of the positive reports they have about their experience. Yet, how many people we talk to every day that have need to be uh, explain have it explained from point A? I would say they don't do mass marketing. So you'll never see a Super Bowl ad advertising Vistage or any group like this. So most people get their general information through mass media. So the way people find out about Vistage or similar type of functional support is through word of mouth mm -hmm. and things like that. So uh, word of mouth just doesn't travel all that fast unless you're in social media. A lot of the CEOs are more middle-aged or more senior, and they're maybe not picking up on a trend yeah. that's happening on Facebook yeah. these days or something. Yeah, you are quite old, Richard. I noticed that. I'm, <laughs> I'm extremely old, but I did manage to make it to the studio today. Okay. Uh, listen, y'all were both early, actually. Uh, there is a way for people who have any interest in this to uh, kind of experience what it's about, and that that's a September 2nd Vistage Executive Summit, which is going to be held at the uh, Galleria and the Cobb convention center hotel convention center so i would recommend anybody out there who has interest in finding out more about vistage to uh, come to that meeting on september 2nd uh, see who's in it uh, see who their peers are and then there'll be an, uh, a chance to actually experience how a vistage collaboration works and it, before that time uh, vistage.com is the website i mean that's pretty straightforward so there's a lot of information there Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if folks want to get in touch with you, Warren? Well, I'm, uh, uh, I'm in the Vistage uh, system, so if they go to Vistage.com and they put my name in, uh, they will immediately go to uh, uh, my personal website within their larger website, so they can get me through the Vistage.com system. You can do that, or... Um they, uh, my, a good email address for me is executiveimpact at gmail.com. Pretty easy. Great. Very good. Um, do you guys have any closing thoughts about uh, human resources trends or hiring millennials or putting together a, a great HR process for our CEOs before we wrap up? Well, uh, first thing I would say is many times people don't recognize, now this varies depending on whether you're in manufacturing or services industry or things, but on average, about 60% of all corporate costs are in the people. So many times companies will spend great deals of time and effort to analyze their uh, process flow in their manufacturing plant or something, 
and they'll find a way to save 3% on their manufacturing costs. Um, but many times they fail to look at that 60%, which is in their people. And uh, so I, I guess I would say I would encourage people to think about that, that where is the majority of the money you're spending in your business? And how much effort should be you be focused at making that part of that investment more efficient and effective? And I, I would say, uh, to follow up on that, I think the, the companies that are able to get the right people in the right jobs will win. And uh, that should be part of their fundamental strategy. It's not just things. It's the people they bring on board. It's the ideas that they can gener- get from them. It's the guidance they can get from them. So uh, I would say that uh, in every company should have a very sharp focus on the kind of people they get and how they bring them into the system and how they, how they encourage them and develop them. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for a great show. It's been wonderful having you with us. Thank, thank you. you. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.